Hi, Gala. Hey, Rose. What's up? I was just thinking about six months ago when we recorded our Virgo season podcast and being like, everything just keeps going. I'm so tired. Do we have to keep going? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, I feel exactly the same way. I don't know if it ever changed in between, but mm. it's a little deja vu. Well, I feel like at some point in between, it kind of felt like you could not go for a while. Like there was a winter vibe for me on the on the wintry coast where it felt like I was working all the time and I still am, obviously, but like it didn't feel like it didn't feel like overdrive. It felt more like, yep, I, I, I did the stuff. That's yeah. enough. And now it's like spring on the east coast is like is like hunkering up (laughs) you know just like with this like trundle of bullshit well last time we recorded we um we gave our listeners a real like one theme episode and we were like here you go we did it we're gonna package yeah guess what it's Pisces season and (laughs) Listen, we carried in a gallon of water in a mesh bag and we don't know what happened to it. (laughs) I'm just all fucking wet. Um, Yeah. So, you know, it's like, let's just, we'll say that I think that this is really like a real astrological episode with um, some side peppering of sexy queer Pisceans and just like a sprinkle, sprinkle of war <laughs> you can have uh waffle fries or war on the side oh out of waffle fries <laughs> sorry yeah it's just an unfortunate truth the milkshake that is nuclear weaponry um so why don't we start with something kind of nice yeah let's start nice Uh, hopefully when this episode comes out, we will um, be preparing you for the full moon that lies ahead. It's true. On March 18th. Rose, while Rose is not a Pisces, we all know that Rose is an Aquarius um, on this podcast, but (laughs) Rose is a Pisces rising and a Virgo moon. And I just feel like it'll be great to quiz the person who lives this life oh my God. on some of the things that could help us understand what the Virgo moon has to offer us. Wow. No pressure. What do you think? I'm here. I'm ready. Um, I have very specific ideas, feelings, um, and instructions. <laughs> oh my God. Really? You have specific instructions perhaps though i do have a pisces mercury so good luck understanding it's basically like some ikea directions with some like (laughs) uh, cocteau twins lyrics thrown in there (laughs) but you you want to (laughs) try y'all you guys ever listen to cocteau twins (laughs) listen the kids are digging into it yeah i heard peaches is going back on tour Speaking of my joke. (laughs) (laughs) You're a mess. I love you. You're a mess. I am. You're a fucking mess. Just a couple messes on messes. Perfect for Pisces season. We're all connected, man. 
All right, Sloppy Joe. So. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Cool. Let's get to, let's get to Stefan. Yeah. So we've got a Virgo moon on the 18th. Yes. Obviously, it's a full moon, so it's opposite the sun in Pisces. But what else is going on in the sky that day? Well, we have like a real cool situation going on. Sorry, I have some burps. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's what happens when air and water combine, which is what we have in the sky. We've got a stellium in Aquarius and we've got a stellium in Pisces. You know what that is? Just some bubbly water makes you burp. Mm. Um, and in all seriousness, though, uh, this this full moon chart is um, unique and stacked, not n- It could be relaxed, but um, we're going to have to work for it. Mm. And at least the chart that I pulled up actually uh, has the sun in the 12th house along with Neptune, Jupiter, and Mercury in Pisces. And then we've got Saturn, Venus, and Mars in the 11th, which they're not being like super in in on the business per chance. The big feeling is this... Lonely Virgo moon up against this cluster of kind of diluted Piscean swimming energy, (laughs) right? (laughs) And so there can be a pull into the past, a desire to escape, a longing to merge identities and kind of like, mm, I would almost say like throw your throw your fate to the collective right and i think that the virgo moon is gonna have to put in a lot of work to stay grounded and resist the temptation to um try to control this environment because it's not possible and that um it's really only in taking responsibility for its own self care and kind of keeping its little side of the street clean that is going to be able to like get through this and Pluto's there to help but it means like a different approach right it means if you need help you have to ask for help right you can't expect people to psychically guess it right there can be a feeling that if everything's swimming together in Pisces that perhaps that's a big enough pool to really truly reflect your needs right but the problem is you can't parse between everything swims together right so um i think that sticking to whatever little rituals or devotions help keep you grounded and if other people want to be messy and chaotic let them do that you don't have to get pulled into it but you're definitely not going to be able to like untie that fucking spaghetti nest of whatever is happening in the world right now does that make sense I mean, you really had me for the most part, but you definitely had my mind taking a little bit of a detour when you talked about untying a spaghetti nest. <laughs> Just because I'm like, no, we don't, we don't, that's not a thing. That's not a thing you do. But <laughs> yeah, things are associative, things are free flowing. You are right. Mercury in Pisces is in Rose's natal chart. And also in this chart that we are looking at today. So right on. I'm wondering what you think about 
Pluto's role in the whole, I know you mentioned some things, but let's just kind of circle back and zero in for the listeners. We think about Pluto's role in this full moon because it's doing two things at once, right? It's shining the moon and it's, you know, forming a sextile to the sun. So how is Pluto working for each of these luminaries differently? And what about Pluto's work is bringing them together? I think that should we choose to accept it, Pluto is adding a a bit more gravity to the um, Pisces stellium. Mercury, Jupiter, Neptune, Sun, and Pisces without any other influence, right? Without like, say, Saturn to stabilize or Pluto to remind us that like things are fucked up right now could really (laughs) lend itself to just like pure escapism out the gate, Mm -hmm. just like naively believing that everything's just going to work out and we just have to like release and then we're all going to like ascend to 5d bullshit or whatever so well it's not like pleasant i don't think to have that awareness uh, or consciousness of uh kind of like the perilousness of uh the the global (laughs) situation that it'd be really easy to become utterly untethered and kind of, you know, join a cult or um, uh, that's the main thing I'm concerned about, honestly, <laughs> or, or or just like fall in line and, and get kind of goose stepped into like an even more deeply fascist state here uh, mm-hmm. in this country. But, but to bring it back into like just the perspective of, of the full moon, um, yeah, I think that it adds gravity and helps maybe focus the more altruistic aspects that we can find in Neptune, particularly in Neptune and Pisces and Jupiter and Pisces that wants to believe in the good of others, but also can comprehend and is not going to shy away from the great suffering that there is. And I think for Virgo, which already can have a tendency to... Like even without Virgo being the moon, right, which is in a full moon reflecting the sun, right, in some Mm -hmm. way, um, there can be a tendency to like not keep your eyes on your own paper and to seek Mm. to try to like tend to the suffering world outside of you while like neglecting the suffering world inside of you. Mm -hmm. And so I think that there is something about Pluto there, an aspect to both to be like, yeah, the suffering is what connects us, but like you also need to take care of yourself. Mm. And Pluto is always an opportunity for us to like face the things that we would rather not in order to make different choices, right? But it has Mm -hmm. to start with that acknowledgement. So there's something about that, both it being brought into the consciousness of the sun, but also being like pulled into the emotional depths there that allows us to instead of being consumed by the overwhelm that like Jupiter approaching conjunction with Neptune can certainly give us it like pulls us back into those sixth house things into the routines into the devotional and reminds us I think that Virgo at its very best can remind us that like the very tenets of astrology, right? That like the macro echoes the micro and that anytime you feel hopeless about change in the world, if you can change something small in like your immediate surroundings, that can actually start to build that faith that Jupiter and Neptune and Pisces want and need to to have available for you. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, I hear you. I feel like as you were speaking, I started to really think about what's going on currently in the political climate um, in regards to um, just like our current sort of, uh, I don't want to say obsession, it's not what I mean, but uh, focus, right, on the former USSR, Mm. on Belarus and on Ukraine and on Russia. And I was thinking about, as you were speaking about Piscean um, over identification mm. and empathy, um, or a sort of like the idea of oneself as empathic, right? Like the, the self, right? Especially with like the sun there, this like ego, the ego of the self and getting a little bit lost in that. And I'm also thinking about the way that, you know, while a sextile and a trine can be helpful, the question is helping what? So like for me, it's not necessarily true, right? That, um, (laughs) right. That, uh, things are helpful for us. Like it could be helping something else. Like it could be helping an energy build or, um, get larger or, or like create a transformational portal. Right. And that portal might not be actually beneficial to humans, (laughs) but it benefits the portal. Right. So it expands that. And I was thinking about how, when you mentioned a cult or like being in a cult or not being in a cult, how there is a sort of cult of, um, the cult of the the American capitalist like savior, right? The do-gooder, this idea of us as like the the final frontier of of redemption for other countries. And the sextile um between something like that, right? Uh to me it really speaks to what I've been witnessing on the internet about from so many uh American or even just like I guess uh, empire powers (laughs) really trying to be like, we have to stop this. We have to, you know, we have to do these sanctions, right? We know what's good and bad, (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, like, and how so much of that is also fueling a a story, Mm. um, that is very dangerous. Uh, and thinking about that in relationship to like, uh, say, daily acts like what causes us to feel useful right so people feeling powerless when witnessing something that can lead to world war three and you know and that's the thing that we're talking about too it's like you know we can get into the fucking mess of um although we're not clearly political scientists here but we can get into the mess of what it looks like um when people perform under this act this like uh, assumption of perceived whiteness and what, you know, what people think Ukrainians are based on looking at them. Right. Because it's like, actually, sure. there Some Ukrainians are white. Not all Ukrainians are white because Ukraine is a country and it's a port. Uh, like it has ports. It has, it has a lot of trade. It has a lot of universities. Like it has many people of many different cultures that have lived there for a very long time. But also even if, all Ukrainians were white, they still wouldn't be like Americans. They still wouldn't be like French people. Like they still, (laughs) they still would not be like other white people in other countries that have not had to inherit what they inherited historically. Right. So there's this, 
this constant uh, over-identification, which also can create delusion. Um, and it's being channeled and tensed against powerlessness or trying to feel useful, how to feel useful, how to feel like you can survive this world, what to do in your daily like life that can manage this powerlessness that you might feel. Because even if you're not over-identifying with your pain and you're just a regular person who understands the stakes, you know, it's not for nothing that like a power-hungry oligarch has now claimed the largest nuclear plant in Europe. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's that's a trouble. <laughs> that's that's like a very scary thing. That's a very Plutonian Truly. scary thing yeah. to have happen. And so for me, um those things came up as you were speaking to for sure. Well, and to go one step further, if you think about Pluto as representing, among other things, power and the way that it's sought or wielded, right? There mm-hmm. is this idea, if you look at the zodiacal wheel with like a natural solar chart with Aries on the rise, that Pluto and Capricorn would be at the top of the chart and it's the culmination and consolidation of power that we're seeing in such mm-hmm. a wild way. So there is a sense though there's much darkness that can and will come in Pluto and Aquarius. There is a sense that if if this consolidation of power is confronted in the appropriate way that there can possibly be a dispersal that occurs over Aquarius, right? Over Aquarius Mm -hmm. and Pisces, but we have no idea. And that's another 30, 40 years, which may (laughs) hope hope we'll get them. (laughs) All right. Well, we did, we did a little bit of, of our, of our big, big wide web. Yeah. Um, think, but maybe for our listeners, we can sort of come back to the moon on a, just on a sort of singular level. Yeah. Um, you know, full moons. It's true, though. Like, I think that there are, it, you know, if you look at this chart, which we're looking at, you know, it definitely it has a little bit of a kite aspect. There can be some release that gets going. There can be some relief. Um, it can also be a, a valve that releases things that are more difficult, not necessarily better, but for the sake of being uh, gentle optimists, which I think that both Rose and I try to be in our own ways. Um, maybe Rose, you could speak to what possible things on a Virgo full moon could bring relief Well, I'm actually going to bring Pluto in again one more time because I actually think that the relief comes from accepting how powerless you are in many situations, particularly against like large institutions and consolidated power. And that is not to make you hopeless. It's actually to like help bring your attention back into focus and like away from futility. And then that's where that Aquarius stellium in the 11th house can offer a little bit of hope that you have to work for. But there's something about Mars, Venus, Saturn in a row like that, that is like the motivation comes and then the connection and then like the stability and the support to do something that lasts, right? But the way that Pluto is working in this chart, the way I see it is like, identifying and surrendering to what you are powerless over not to give up entirely but so that you don't waste any more energy over there and so then you can actually fucking like figure out 
what it is that you can do and what it is that you need to do. And also realize that like, if you're wandering around with a totally fucking frazzled nervous system and like, can't even tie your own shoes or eat your own fucking dinner, like you're no good to anyone. I know like everybody says it 100 times, but particularly with the Virgo full moon in the sixth house, opposing a Pisces stellium in the 12th, (sighs) finding ways to return to your body and just take care of it will help you be more resourced and build like whatever kind of fortitude you need to keep going in this shit. Right. Like maybe like the question is like, let's say there's a part of you that starts to feel like you're not producing enough or you're not producing in time or you're not being like, you're not doing, you're not, you're not using your time wisely. Like all of a sudden you're starting to feel kind of this morbid sense of life and death because everything feels kind of at a hilt. Yeah. It might be useful as you're saying to think about the fact that even when you don't see yourself in production, your body is always producing your body's always making its platelets. It's, you know, it's rush of blood it's oxygen, all the things inside you are working and creating. And so perhaps just thinking about how you can actually fuel and care for that production can still give you a sense of doing work that's purposeful (laughs) instead of work that is consumerist, (laughs) right? Like, so that's, that can be consumed by somebody else. Also, like identifying and separating your feelings from the collective is purposeful, meaningful work, right? And in like whatever kind of supportive space you have access to, to do that in. Because it's also like, there are plenty of reasons in the world to feel anxious. There also might be some that are like just personal for you that like you aren't identifying or like being present with or for because it's so much easier to project it on this huge nameable thing that everyone can relate to, you know, and I'm not saying that we aren't all affected by external stuff as well as internal stuff and we all have varying ties to the overlapping crises that we've been navigating for the last two years. But yeah, I think that particularly a Virgo moon needs to be able to digest its emotional experience, preferably removed from like a super noisy environment. (laughs) You Mm -hmm. know? Well, maybe, um, in terms of bodies and bodies just doing their work, 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 work. (laughs) (laughs) I know where you're going. (laughs) Where, where am I going? I think you're going to talk about, Rihanna's newest album drop. <laughs> yeah, nine full months moon in the album. studio for ish. <laughs> it's a collab. Gosh. Between <laughs> he's a small feature. It's Rihanna's album. Dude. I mean <laughs> like God bless Rihanna. And her baby, and the fact that not once is there a photo of a man in any of these in any of these things. <laughs> like it's just her looking hot as fuck alone. Like she just conceived it herself. I know that she didn't, but my mind tells me otherwise because I just see her. I see her moving through the world, fucking belly up, like she just rode in on a foam wave. You know what I mean? Just like on a fucking mollusk. (laughs) I know that there are people who like 
really are into pregnant bodies and like really fetishize it. But I have to say that like nobody has been pregnant better than Rihanna. Nobody. How can she look so cool? Yeah, I've she- seen other women look hot. Yes. But she doesn't just look hot. She looks cool. She looks like she invented pregnancy. It looks effortless. You know, it looks like she invented it. I'm like, did you invent it? How did have I, have I ever seen a pregnant woman before? I don't know if I have. I think you're the first one. <laughs> yeah. So great job. Um, I, I too could, if anyone could do it, I would fathom that like, yeah, Rihanna is capable of parthenogenesis. I believe that's when you just birth something without uh, needing anyone or anything else. I feel like that's a real Pisces possibility. You know what I mean? Do you think that we're going to get like a triple down, a double down Piscean entrance to the world. Do you think that Erica Badu will be the doula for that baby? Um, she does doula work, but I don't know if there's like a, you know, with the whole Drake relationship, I don't know. <laughs> wow. I didn't know you were deep down in this stuff. I, I, I've, I've kept, I've kept really on top of the waves. I haven't dived in into, um, this lore. Do you, do you have more access to this lore? I was thinking at first, see, first I was thinking like a Scorpio and I was like, no fucking way. <laughs> like, um, but that's because I have dealt with, Pisceans during an at-home birth situation. And Mm. like, that is not actually something I want to repeat, but (laughs) I feel like, I feel like Piscean people, they really do get each other as schools of fish. So for sure, I can imagine one hella cool Pisces kind of like calling another cool squared Pisces <laughs> to, to the mix to like, you know, to figure things out, to get those sea turtles getting to the sea. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, it's like from one ocean to another, you know, ocean to ocean. Mm-hmm. Why mm-hmm. not? Yeah. Sail away, sail away. So <laughs> <laughs> speaking of Neptune and Pisces, uh, <laughs> Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, I just want to, let's just like note that, like, let's just think about that for the moon, just because I think it's a nice thought. She's doing stuff with her body. We're doing stuff with our body. Let your body talk, whatever stuff's happening. I guess on the topic of, um, really special Piscean celebrities, uh, I want listeners this, I want you guys to know that you know, it might seem like we're just yapping, but, uh, <laughs> but this is really a Piscean themed episode. And, um, as such, it's a mutable one mm-hmm. and, um, it's important for y- you to understand where I'm coming from when I discussed to you with you, um, my urge to text Rose at all hours about my um, dyke suspicions. <laughs> so uh, not long ago, maybe a few months ago, I can't tell anymore. I was probably really high. I probably ate an edible and I started texting Rose about Sharon Stone. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that is like our um, like R- rainbow bridge or whatever. 
It's <laughs> like anytime you get high, I am there for you. <laughs> Meet me up Rose, there. <laughs> Rose is there for me when I'm high and um, in my detective mode, my gay detective <laughs> mode. And Rose is also there for me when I am alone at home and want to eat a fully boned fish. Yeah. So those true. are the two ways that Rose is here for me. They're both kind of Piscean. Um, but anyway, so I will, let me just backtrack. So (laughs) I want to say that, um, I have, I have impeccable, I have impeccable gaydar for women. Um, it's not, it's not a look, it's a vibe. Mm. And, um, I have, I mean, clearly Sharon has, you know, she's, you know, she did basic instinct. Uh, she did the kids are all right. Uh, she does the stuff. She did but... fucking um these walls could talk too, remember with Ellen? Is is that yeah, is that's that what like... I meant when I said these kids are all right, or did she do both movies? Um, I don't remember if she's also in the kids are all right, but I'll fact check for you while you keep going. Right. Maybe that's like Annette Bennett and uh it's definitely what's Julianne her Moore. Name? Oh, Julianne Moore. Um uh, my mommy crush. So <laughs> <laughs> if you know, you know, mm-hmm. uh, so anyway, a long time ago, meaning a couple of years ago when the pandemic was fresh, uh, Sharon stone did this Instagram video about closing a business. Nobody had ever heard of her running with this lesbian, <laughs> I mean, it was clearly, I don't know, like you just look and you're like this, she's standing next to this like butch dyke. And she's like, we're officially closing the doors on this business. It was a production company, I think. It was like, what are you talking about? What are you doing with this lesbian? Like, no, it was so unclear. She's like, she's standing next to like a barn. Do you know what I mean? Like it wasn't a set. It was just like outside. It looked like they had just like gone to doggy daycare together. It was very unclear. And you're just, and you're just like, what kind of business are you up to with this butch? And right away I sent that. Yeah. Scissoring businesses. <laughs> and so I, I messaged Rose right away urgently. Um, and we discussed it. We probably even discussed it on this podcast. Um, true fans know, mm. but here's the thing. A couple of months ago, uh, as as I said, I was pretty high. Um, I, I, edibles are confusing to me. And so I, I never take the right amount. I'm either asleep or I'm too high. Uh, so and <laughs> basically, I started scrolling down uh, Cara Devilne. De Is that how you say? Delavine? Uh, Cara D. So I was going down <laughs> Cara D. It's Cara oh. Delavine. Yeah, there you go. Cool, cool. So I was uh, I was going down Cara D's page, and uh, I don't know why I went there. I don't know. Maybe I was trying to figure something out, and or maybe I knew what I would find. And what I did find was um, just random comments from Sharon Stone about how good Kara looked or how she was so happy that Kara was seeing her like childhood friend, just like little comments here and there. And, you know, I just started following her around and it just seemed like she was really invested in a lot of young lesbian lives. Like she was just, she just was like dropping little peppery, like enthusiasms. 
yeah. you know, at, at the, and on the young, on the young dykes. And I thought to myself, what is going on there? What is her investment <laughs> in these, in these people? Um, you know, so we pontificated about that for a while. Mm-hmm. We don't need to go into it here. And then just the other day, Rose sent me an update. Rose, take it away. Well, confirmed Pisces later in life, sapphically wed actor extraordinaire Nisi Nash. Overall, glamorous mermaid. Professionally married, professionally gay married. I feel she was professionally gay married. Um, Nisi Nash posted a picture that was just her, Jessica Betts, and Sharon Stone. I'm sorry. Okay, but what did the what did the what did it say? Something like if you know you know, but I don't have my phone on me. It was like the like you vibe with the same tribe oh. or whatever. <laughs> yeah. It was basically like this is my school of gay fish. And Sharon yeah. Stone also a Pisces, and you know what Pisces are real bad about? I would know. I have Mercury and Pisces at ingress today. That's why you're swimming in some slop with us today. Uh, direct communication. I feel like this is like a collaboration between them for Sharon Stone to like come out without coming out. Because yeah, because also- her ascendant is in Virgo too. So she's going to want to play like the professional part, but it's like, it's not well, happening. Yeah. Like, come on, we're closing down the production company <laughs> and opening up the closet. That was what was happening. <laughs> Yeah, like not only is she on the couch with Nisi, not only is she on the couch, but she's got a dog with her. That's a clue. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you know what a lesbian brings when she like doesn't want to bring, I don't know. A date? Her, yeah, a date is a dog. She's like, this is my dog. I should know. She's like, it's That's a right. double date guys come on <laughs> i didn't want to be the third wheel yeah i brought my rescue it's it's the, a rescue a rescue is a lesbian thing to own also everybody knows that rescue is a lesbian thing straight people are starting to put their dogs in harnesses but like that's definitely a lesbian invention <laughs> <laughs> all, all harnesses are lesbian yes that's just a fact get used to it yes um yeah, so that, you know, that was really juicy. It was a beautiful thing to see. I guess I want to round out, you know, because three is a great number. Um, and, you know, it's it's a, it's a more like a little, what do you call it? Like a little tidbit, a little caramel mm. droplet on yeah. our beautiful molten chocolate cake <laughs> um, of delights. A couple of months ago, a friend of mine... Uh, who loves lesbians, but is not one, wrote to me and was like, did Toni Morrison and Fran Lebowitz date? Yeah, good question, right? And so then I wrote my ex who, you know, is like 20 years older than me and used to be a dyke in in, in the 90s (laughs) in in New York City uh, and was just like, what did you see? You know, what did you see out there? And she didn't know. And she checked in with like one of Toni Morrison's like researchers. And, you know, she has some connections and she said the researcher said there was nothing in the archives that would point to it. 
But I want to say that since then, new information has been circling about their dalliance. (gasps) Yes. Um, And it's true. I really went on a ride. I did. (laughs) Of Um, course you did. Why didn't you text me? Oh God, I don't know. Well, because this is what happened. So, you know, I went on some detective stuff. I was not high then, so it wasn't as fun. Probably that's why I didn't text you. And then February 21st, just a couple weeks ago from when we're recording right now, uh, one of the auto straddle writers, Carmen Phillips wrote, I was today years old when I found out about Toni Morrison and Fran Leibowitz and now I can think about nothing else. And, um, I guess she or they, uh, had basically gotten some more information. So you can definitely check that out. So I think that there is a lot of people, um, there's, it's sort of one of those in the know things. It's like, a, you know, like what's her face, Susan Sontag and fucking, no, Susan Sontag's always been gay. Yeah, I, I guess feel, no, I mean, I feel like a, a like Alicia, you know, like it's like Alicia ah. Keys. It's like one of those things where you're just kind of, or like Missy Elliott, but then Missy Elliott, you know, yeah, just sort of like people know, people know, people who know know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's you know that's another little uh, depending on who you ask, Toni Morrison, also Piscean. Yeah. Right on the cusp there. Yeah. Early. So there's a little bit of a Piscean round out of secrets unveiled, lesbian tales unleashed, unlocked, untethered, that's unrestrained. That, that's that Pluto sextile, huh? <laughs> Blissful revelations. Making Get us going. feel more connected to our sapphic sisters of the past, you know? Sapphistry. Teaching y'all the fish, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> She'll eat for the rest of her life. <laughs> okay. Okay. Wow, that's uh it's gonna be our title. I also wanna say that Pisces and Virgo both maybe two of like the nastiest, horniest signs as far as like where you don't expect it. Does that make sense? Like mm. I don't feel like it's always talked about that like they're both big pervs, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think uh, there's a relationship to Virgo also going on, you know, that little tension. Yeah. The biggest pervs. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, maybe we can um, talk about something. Maybe it's like the opposite of perviness is uh, <laughs> Saturn's conjunction to Mars. <laughs> Oh my God, it's not a transition. It's not a transition, but it is, it is the next aspect, um, along the way. Yeah. You know, Venus hits Saturn first, right. On March 28th. 28th. Yeah. Cause they're still traveling quite closely together though. Venus has cleared its shadow and is picking up speed, right? Cause Venus usually passes through a sign in about a month, whereas mm-hmm. Mars takes about two. So this has been pretty wild that they've been together for this long. And so I wonder, like, what does that mean, though, to have both of those hit within a week of each other? And what's like the difference between that, you know, Mm -hmm. because on the one hand, you know, it's starting two separate cycles, right? Right on. And also closing out some. But in general, when we think about Venus, it's 
its closeness, its aesthetic, it is a, a desire for harmony, right? Which isn't necessarily off with Saturn. After all, Saturn is exalted in Libra, right? There is some kind of relationship there. And if we look at it mythologically, Venus was the product of Saturn's aggression towards Uranus, right? Mm. <laughs> so there is something about the way that restraint can actually refine an aesthetic mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. where like it can also like strengthen a bond of relationship if there's like a seriousness or commitment there. But when we get Mars and Saturn together, it gets like a little kinkier <laughs> in a couple of different ways, right? Mars wants to go, Saturn's like stop, slow down, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or it's like, it's like if you have if you're gonna go, you better like do it right. Right. Yeah, right. Apply yourself, have a little discipline, be a little <laughs> more strategic, right? Strategy. Yeah. For sure. Well, I'm also wondering how Venus's conjunction to Saturn sort of puts a nice little knot on just our experience of the Venus retrograde and the shadow period. Yeah especially because so much of it had to do with Capricorn, who's Lord of Saturn. Mm-hmm. And also maybe a sense of separation or isolation and getting to mm-hmm. like mm, confront that and then move forward. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. speaking of which, uh, to take it back to the Mars-Saturn conjunction, Mars and Saturn conjoined in Aquarius two years ago at mm. like zero degrees in the spring when... Um, kind of like the sense of seriousness really sunk in, at least for folks in America, right? Like in January, you know, in China and other countries, it was, and in Europe, right? In February, March, it was already ramping up, but like, yeah, March, April, 2020 is when it was like, ah, okay, the buck stops here. Right, and uh, of course there's a boat that docked oh um, <laughs> the the cruise with um, oh, it was just stuck <laughs> with all those passengers. It was like the beginning of sort of different different borders being trespassed with yeah. the virus. Uh, yeah, I mean for sure, and I you know I guess it could be interesting to think about Saturn as a kind of border, right? Yes. Um, like a kind of parameter and what these two planets are capable when they touch that parameter, how they relate to it, how they scale it or what they learn from it. Yeah. Well, and like, you know, borders keep things in and out. And then also Mm -hmm. nearly none of them are absolute, right? They're actually often far more permeable than we would like to think or hope. Right. It's almost like borders say more about the people who make them than they do about the people who encounter them. Much like rules. and Right? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting to think about that two-year cycle closing out. And what it seems to be telling us is not necessarily that the virus is gone, but that any... Um, Attempt at engendering a sense of social responsibility and restricting our movement for the good of the collective is going out the window, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I would just say for worse, to be honest. I don't think that there's a better. 
<laughs> I mean, for sure. And then we're looking at, you know, the sun's conjunction with Chiron and Aries on the 1st of April. Oh, right, right. Um, so I just think, you know, there's a lot to be unpacked as always. You know, it's like we keep saying these things and it's like, it's always true. It's just different, different fabric or different yeah. versions of it that come up, you know. And it's true that Chiron has been traversing Aries for a good while now. And there is an element of... Mm, maturation that's happening with the work mm -hmm. i think because it's not at the beginning stages anymore there is a sense of deep introspection of the of the thorn maybe even out of the paw <laughs> you know and recognizing that perhaps the paw stepped on the thorn all along <laughs> <laughs> you don't mean that there's like a network of covert thorns waiting conspiring against the that have infiltrated every level of government? Maybe there is, but... <laughs> I mean, probably also, right? Yeah, maybe there is, but it's sort of like who who agrees to that government? You know, how do we, how do we, um, how do we construct the world in which we live? You know, who puts the paw on the thorn and blames the thorn? Um, <laughs> Are you victim blaming this paw right now? <laughs> no, that would be outrageous. That would be a really Russian thing to do. Uh, so I will say that, you know, it, I feel like that conjunction, especially, um, especially right before the Neptune um, and Jupiter conjunction, which I think that Rosie you want to talk about a bit, but definitely right before, right. Yeah. I think it's giving us a little bit of an echo of, ego work, right? People talk a lot about shadow work. Um, and I think that that's such a wide phrase. Like, what are you even talking about? You know, like, how do you know what your shadow is? Like people like can't really do shadow work unless they are actually very honest with themselves. And most people are not honest with themselves. No. It takes a very long time to see what the fuck you're doing, you know, and the sun conjunct Chiron is a moment where you're, you really can be right, right in front of whatever's hurting you and still not see how much of it is within your control. Not because you deserve it, no. not because, you know, and especially so much suffering is, you know, systemic. So much suffering is like a part of a demonic fucking subjugation <laughs> capitalist <laughs> ploy. Like, of course not, we don't deserve that. But I think there is something to be said for, mindfulness, right? Um, something to be said for the amount of suffering that we also cause ourselves yeah. by our relationship to what's happening and how it, and how it's happening to us yeah, and how we work with it. Um, so I don't, you know, yeah, I guess what we're sharing with our listeners isn't exactly like a nice cup of sunshine juice, but it is an opportunity. Well, <laughs> To me, that gets kind of at the, at one of like the core kind of conflicting pieces of messaging around Jupiter and particularly how Jupiter is expressed in the sign of Pisces is like truth and belief and how just because we believe or hope for something doesn't mean it's true. And just because something is true doesn't mean that it necessarily makes us feel hopeful, yet there is still something important. And and I think for some people, um, 
inspiring or meaning making about finding finding what feels and is true, right? For sure. I mean, right now, as you're speaking about that, I had this memory recently when um, Tennessee and I took took too much mushrooms. <laughs> I did that too. <laughs> I did that right after my birthday. Yeah. I mean, we both, like, I would say we both did not have a great time, Mm-mm. but neither of us regretted it. No. Like we were both like, this is the other side of working with medicine. If you choose to work with it this way, it's like, cause we, we didn't just take like a square to sparkle. You know what yeah. I thought we taught took would just be kind of like a fun open dose but because they were small they were like small ones and sometimes when i take that amount it's chill yeah but then it was it was too cold because we were in the middle of nowhere Mm -hmm. so we couldn't really like stay outside for very long because they're too cold and it's like you want to kind of like be relaxed yeah um plus the woods the trees were giving me like a real fish concert vibe i can't explain it but i was like it's like I was sort of like, these dudes, like these dudes meaning trees. I was like, these dudes are like, they're okay, but they're not my people. You know? I I know what you mean, yeah. I couldn't explain it. I was like, it's like, I want to be in the midst of Avalon, but I'm in the Druid forest. It's like the wrong place. Yeah. Um, You were just in the game mist. (laughs) Yeah, it was just like, it's not right. So we came inside and yeah. And then we just like proceeded to have, this like together, but also solo trips that were both like so intensely anxiety ridden. Mm-hmm. And they really were like, I think for each of us, they really gave us information about what we're working with. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, okay. It's cool. You know, I didn't know. I didn't know these feelings were inside of me. I didn't, I didn't know <laughs> until I had to like just mitigate them for six hours, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and now I fucking know. And you know what? There was this moment where the knowing led to an acceptance. Yeah. And I think that's my little bridge towards talking about this Jupiter. Jupiter <laughs> I was thinking that is like the perfect, like too mm-hmm. much of a good thing or like connecting like too strongly, too intensely, too deeply to every single thing that you're feeling and every single thing that the collective is feeling, right? Like Jupiter just makes things bigger, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes when you're going for a bigger, you know, transcendent experience, right? Neptunian spaces are altered states. Like for me, it was definitely like... Um, <laughs> I don't know, like the garbage disposal was jammed and then I opened it up and was like, oh, that's everything that's in there. Right. But with my emotional interior, Mm -hmm. which then led me to be like, I am so glad that I'm starting therapy again next week. (laughs) It was like the easiest come down of my life because I was like, oh, I feel so much happier in this like slightly more compartmentalized existence. (laughs) Wow, Virgo moon baby. But so I think that, yeah, you're absolutely right. That's a good parallel for what can happen, right? And Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. Jupiter expands whatever it touches. And Neptune seeks to dissolve whatever is keeping us separate, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Sometimes the things that keep us separate are protecting us 
right? Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes the things that are keeping us separate are, are enabling us to be weaponized against each other. And yeah. I think that that is a line that we have to toe with this Jupiter-Neptune conjunction. I don't think that mm-hmm. anyone can get anywhere without compassion and connection and some kind of hope that there's something worth pushing towards. I also think that you cannot believe that everything is just going to work out fine and like just watch another season of The Bachelor, which like fair enough, (laughs) I've been watching a lot of reality TV, so I'm not saying that I'm not doing that, but we need to find a balance. You know, I well, okay. I think that that I think that's a really good note to kind of steer and maybe bring us to the to another topic that has to do with connection, uh-huh. too many drugs uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and finding a reason to go on. <laughs> if the audience must know you've been on a euphoria, like just like new journey, like you stepped into the water fresh this year. Uh. I've had a lot of personal experience that is a little too close to the subject matter of euphoria. And particularly when it came out, I just lost a very dear friend to substance misuse. So it was just like too painful and actually continues to be like pretty painful, but also cathartic to watch and experience this program. Um, Partly because at first I had this firm denial that like these kids lives are way crazier than like my high school life. And Mm -hmm. then like, Two days later, I was like, somebody was murdered. I was DJing college parties. Uh, I did a lot of drugs. I did get arrested. Like, actually, yeah, there's something about, like, it reminds me a little bit of, like, the things I carried or something where it's, like, it feels real and it's close enough, but sometimes they, like, ramp up or dramatize the, the action to give you the visceral feeling that was like maybe a little like lower grade because you're living in it. Yeah. I mean, I really think it really depends on, I think your childhood. I do think that queer kids sometimes can have a particular kind of childhood because they're like, so dissatisfied. So they're just sort of like wandering around trying to find something that feels right. But I'll also say that like, I mean, for me, it did feel pretty applicable, even though I didn't grow up in some sort of Los Angeles suburb, like, You know, I did grow up in New York City and I definitely grew up a lot around a lot of the same kind of activities. I think the main difference for me is the amount of dicks and breasts that you're seeing. So many like dicks. that's the, the amount is a lot. And I, it's fine. I'm actually I kind of love it um in some weird way. I mean, I don't I don't love how sexualized Cassie is, although I can't look away. Um, But I I do love all the dicks, actually. I think it's kind of funny. Like, I think it's sort of campy, the amount of dicks that are going on. And I think they really ramp up that campiness in the last few episodes. (laughs) Me too. I feel like fair is fair. (laughs) Like, if you're going to sexualize all these teenagers, you fucking weirdo Sam Levinson, like... You know, I still think it's like pretty misogynistic lens, but at least there's dicks in there too. Though I'm pretty sure many of them are prosthetics, which then is like, wait a second. How come with like, how come cis dudes get to like obscure their nudity in a way that like 
Many other people don't. I mean, I don't know about this prosthetic dicks. I just thought they were all real dicks. I went like deep down a wormhole because then I was like reading. You about... went down a dick wormhole. I went down a dick drown. Worm. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, the long story short is. Yes, I did. Like I often do, I just finally get frustrated that everybody's talking about something and I'm like, well, maybe it might actually be like good. And also who doesn't love Zendaya? So I did take a journey and I'm finally in season two. You're in season two. I'm fucking stressed out by this show. It is stressful. The amount of harm that actually occurs is like so dwarfed by like, all of the instances where you think something truly horrifying is going to happen. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of horrifying things that happen, but then there's like things where you're like, this could be 100 times worse. Um, Mm -hmm. It's still Mercury and Pisces dancing around. Um, I think this show is a really interesting embodiment of Neptune Mm-hmm, Neptune and mm-hmm. Pisces in particular. But the third mm. piece that I want to bring in, which <clears throat> is that Neptune and Pluto have been in sextile for almost a hundred years. Renee Sills did a really great one hour like Instagram live about this. So I'm not going to go in depth into it, but what that means is for like the five or six generations of people who have been born with this Neptune Pluto sextile that reoccurs, check your birth chart. You have it. I'm pretty sure if you're listening to this podcast, you have it. Um, <clears throat> within, you know, six, seven degrees or so. Um, the way that it positions you is that Neptune is going to square your natal Pluto in kind of your late teens and early 20s. And the reason that I bring this up is because in euphoria, allegedly these kids are all born around 2000 2001 right meaning mm-hmm. they all have they don't know yeah in the opening episode zendaya talks about being born like the day after 9-11 right oh shit okay and so these people <clears throat> have pluto and sagittarius and now neptune and pisces is squaring that and on top of that there's a swath of them who were born actually with pluto conjunct the south node that adds an extra mm-hmm. fadedness there. And so when Neptune comes along, right, if we think about Pluto as like survival stuff, our traumas, our shadow, the things that we're trying to push down or repress or escape, when Neptune comes along and squares that placement for us, you, you kind of have two choices. Like you kind of have the option to either try to run away from it, escape, in Neptunian terms, or try to find some way to heal around it, Hmm. to confront Mm -hmm. it, to find a way to forgive yourself and the other people and to move forward. And I feel like so much of this show, of the driving narrative forces are the main characters either trying to escape or confronting their fucking skeletons, their shadows, their traumas, their like greatest fears. Mm, you know, you're really making me feel even more positive that Zendaya is, that their character is a Sagittarius. Yeah, right? Because imagine right. that. She- yeah, being a Plutonian in yeah. the mix. Yeah. Because, you know, what, what is um, fairly obvious as you continue along, but I don't remember if it's fairly obvious in the beginning, is that Zendaya kind of serves as 
you know, uh, what is it like the, like the patient zero, like basically the person who is visibly going through what everybody else is going through on a more, um, subliminal level or more below the scenes level. And also kind of pushing everybody to, to meet her there. And she is this agent of transformation, even as she struggles to change herself. Right, because she can't see herself because of plutonium. Mm-hmm. And really feeling can. like you're like so tied to this, you know, Sam Miller would often talk about the South Node as being like a stake in the ground with a rubber band that is mm-hmm. always stretching towards the North Node, right? And if Pluto is there too with the stake, like mm-hmm. this feeling of like this, this pull back into the dark earth that like you cannot escape, so why would you try? It's fucking futile. Mm-hmm. And you don't get any more Neptune and Pisces than opiates, and it's no coincidence that since Neptune entered Pisces, we've had this explosion, right? And the last time we had an opiate crisis in this country was more like Saturn and Pisces, which happened right around when Kurt Cobain died, Hmm. right? It would have been like 93 to 96, kind of. I was like, was that 94? Don't I remember that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. yeah. But so, I don't know. I just have been thinking about that. Um, and the desire to escape. Kurt Cobain, also a Pisces. Also a Pisces, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, he died April 5th, 94. Yeah, right? So, like, right there, like, during his Saturn return. Wow. Mm-hmm. Deep cuts. Mm-hmm. Deep cuts. But, yeah, so I was watching... You know, I think it also builds upon a a legacy, you know, it's a little bit of that movie 13. It's a little bit of honestly basketball diaries, but a more it's kids, right? So it's like every 30 years or so, it seems like also we, we come up with this kind of crystallization of that. Right. Like uh, bringing this like ephemeral feeling into some kind of form that will last that we can refer back to, you know? Mm hmm. Kids, 1995. Okay. Yeah. Right. So that was also right there in Saturn and Pisces, mm-hmm. um, which these kids are going to have Saturn in Taurus, but that's a whole nother story, right? Taurus, Gemini, whatever. Um, but yeah, as I was watching, I was just really thinking about also like the opportunity for catharsis and like, um, and reflection and redemption for us as the audience. Right. And when we do and don't have access to that. Right. What do you think about it happening now? Like, I mean, I know when the, in terms of when they're born or when it's placed, but what do you think about the, like the show sort of being on now? I'm thinking also about um, Nan Golden's campaign against the pharmaceutical companies and sort of how Nan Golden's work really, you know, um, exploded in the nineties. Yeah. And um, I mean, she's been, a famous photographer for a while now, but like so much of her work over the past few years has been calling the Sacklers towards an accountability for all the the death and harm they've caused. Yeah. Well, and if you think again about this Pluto and Neptune sextile right now, right. And and we were speaking earlier about the consolidation of power and then like seeking Mm -hmm. to evade consequences too. Right. And that like Neptune wants to live in a world without consequence, 
But Neptune is also deeply tied to myth and mythology, right? And I think that that is important for euphoria happening now with Neptune and Pisces and this kind of like golden age of like a great necessity to escape. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so many ways to do it, endless ways, constant new ways to escape. Mm-hmm. And that escaping into euphoria isn't necessarily escaping. We're we're confronting like a lot of like the darker themes that like all of us to some extent and certainly people who are being raised in a digital age are, are having to live with. Mm-hmm. Um, but also the ways that... Um, myth has like a pretty important social function and there is something about it where like the scale of the story is often exaggerated for impact but that it's something that never actually happened but is always happening and how that is also like the way that we tell stories and that it Mm -hmm. like it is a large enough net to catch a lot of us speaking of Neptune and Pisces right but the Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's also specific enough to be somewhat believable, but that it's like we're losing ourselves and we're losing our kids and like it's not getting easier or better. And like if what what do you even do, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you do? Okay, cool episode. <laughs> it's so dark. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> But the the point of a myth is that, well, their choices are faded and scripted and have already been made and, and, you know, they're conscripted by the fates somehow to make these choices over and over again. The, The illustrative and cathartic quality of them is that we can cast our grief upon them and grieve and find that release, but that we also can learn from their mistakes without making our own, even if they're hyper dramatized, right? Mm -hmm. Even if they're bigger and worse, than things we do. Like, I don't know. It's sort of like um like I don't know about learning from mistakes or not. Like I don't know how it works. You know what I mean? <laughs> but I think that if anything, right, there's a there's at least something Pisces can offer us is company. Mm. So there is this feeling of understanding. Like there's like that the story like whatever you've lived through yeah even as it's probably unique Mm -hmm. to you and you know has a lot to do with your very personal experience of the world it's also happened so many times in so many different iterations to other people yeah well and so that less the feeling of being less alone and i think that maybe that's like the counter remedy in some ways like i think that there's a huge aloneness that's mm, you know that keeps cultivating keeps growing even as Mm -hmm. you know there's so many more ways to connect yeah like there's a great separation and i think that like the remedy right is also feeling connected not just because you can message someone or follow them or you know see what kind of cute new dog they just adopted but um but because you actually have something to offer each other like some kind of beautiful care and witness and understanding and everyone needs that yeah 
Yeah, I mean, the circumstances appear unique, but suffering is universal, right? It's just a matter of scale and intensity and duration. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I guess we... <laughs> I guess it's time to wrap it up. Oh man, yeah, that was a solid. That was, we told you a lot of stuff. It's rough out there. Um, it's okay if it's too intense for you to watch Euphoria, but sometimes it helps you cry about things you didn't make or take the space and to laugh too. I and, think it's also kind of funny. Oh yeah, there's lots of moments that are very funny, and mm-hmm. yeah, those kids are. That young cast is very talented. Very talented. Very talented. Exceptional. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I'm terrified of Nate Jacobs. <laughs> Everyone should be. True. All right. All right. Uh, you got anything going? You got anything cool? You, you want to tell anyone anything? Um, I guess I want to tell people that I'm a Fesco stand for life. <laughs> and um, that I am... Chilling like a villain. That's it. (laughs) Um, I want to tell everyone that like the first girl I fell in love with in middle school creepily looked very much like Hunter Schaefer and (laughs) had very similar style. So I've been having some real weird early queer flashbacks, but uh, yeah, I didn't, I wasn't on pills at that time. Uh, And the other thing I tell you is, yeah, you can book some readings with me. I have a website. It's my name.com. Rose Blakelock. Yeah, there's sliding scale. I have our low cost and gift cards. And I love working with you almost as much. No, it's different. I was going to say almost as much as I like talking to Gala. But I don't want to devalue anybody else's experience to say that I love you, Gala. I'm glad we're friends. I love you back. That's it. Goodbye. Bye. Big Dyke Energy is mixed and recorded by Rose Blakelock and features original theme music by Night of Cups. Annette Benning, not Sharon Stone, was in The Kids Are All Right. Saturn was in Pisces, roughly from 1993 to 1996. And sorry, Gala, if Rue's born on September 14th, she's actually a Virgo son.